Um, so for this episode, I will be speaking for myself. I mean, obviously, I work for Voices for Vaccines, but uh, you know, would like to keep my comments to myself as I try to do with my personal media. Hey, everybody. I am here with Noah from Voices for Vaccines. What's up, Noah? Uh, things are going good. How are you? Good, good. I wanted to have you on because I noticed that um, you're like a younger person doing uh, vaccine advocacy. And most of the people in my sort of space doing this work are in my age cohort in their 40s. And um, I just noticed like, I, first of all, I don't think I see a lot of young anti-vaxxers, but I also don't see like a lot of young people advocating for vaccines. How did you get involved in uh, Voices for Vaccines? Yeah, um, so I've always been interested in public health. Um, that's kind of a focus of mine academically. Um, so it's been something I've been working on for a few years, but I didn't work on it professionally um, until last year. And so I joined um, or was interning for a company called the Task Force for Global Health. And they're kind of this big um, global health conglomerate, I guess, um, in uh, the United States, and they're trying to do more domestic work. And so they're pairing with an organization called Voices for Vaccines. Um, so when I was working there, I got to know um, kind of a lot of people in the vaccine space, a lot of people doing advocacy here. Um, and so it just kind of gradually connected from one to another. So it was a college internship, basically. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I don't think a lot of people get to do that, that for a college internship. You're a, a comms person for Voices for Vaccines. What is what is that? What do you do like on a day to day basis? Yeah, so it's a lot of uh, writing uh, for the most part, um, a lot of social media stuff. A lot of the, the battle for COVID and COVID vaccines and information, things like that um, is on social media. And so we've done a lot of, you know, anything we can really do to try and, I guess, kind of occupy the space and get people good information, um, whether that's writing, you know, articles that answer direct questions um, that, that we're seeing on social media or in other spaces, um, doing interviews with scientists, doing research and kind of writing pieces. Um, it's a lot of just trying to uh, see what everyone's talking about and just be a very active part of the conversation uh, and a resource. Yeah, the you're right. The battle for the COVID vaccine did play out online or is still playing out online. And it's it's a really, really kind of a messy space. Um, I occupy a very different part of that space than you do. Uh, what we do is we kind of find sort of influential people in the in anti-vaxism, I guess, who other people might not know so much about and try to like shine a, like highlight them. And to some extent, if I can, I know, I'll try to antagonize them and get them mad enough to talk, try to talk to me on the air. Um, right. Right. I'm, you know, pretty, pretty low, pretty low number of people end up doing that because if you do a little bit of checking, you'll be like, oh, that's not a good place for me to go. <laughs> <laughs> have you, have you had any success getting any like major anti-vaxxers on here or um define defining major is really hard because there's people who are like way up front like the who are out in front like you know rfk jr uh brett right. weinstein um i don't know those great barrington declaration people but then there's people who are kind of behind the scenes and making trouble in that way like i'm not sure if you're aware of your uh group is called voices for vaccines there's a group out of uh, northern california called v is for vaccine hmm. we've we've definitely had our run-ins with the guy who uh, runs that his name is joshua coleman um he's definitely really active behind the scenes i don't know if you've seen those black white and red signs at like every vaccine event um i haven't uh, i haven't run into them fortunately let me see if i can pull one up for you here for sure that is funny, though. I do spar with a lot of people in this space as well. So just wondering if we have some of the same, I don't want to say enemies, but but people we're interacting with. Oh, I'm happy to call them my enemies. I mean, you you are de <laughs> you are definitely, uh, you know, maybe maybe you and I are um, just differently situated and kind of have different dispositions towards all this. So here's here's the signs I was talking about. Okay, yeah, I know exactly what you're, you're referencing. Here, I'll, I'll actually I'll bring this up on the on the feed so people that are uh, watching can see yeah uh, it's these it's uh, just for people watching it's these black white and red signs and the guy in the middle of this image is joshua coleman um he's definitely one of the people we've had uh, run-ins with um and he's doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes he gets these signs printed 
there's some people who we know through other work we're doing who believe that these are actually being printed by a, a print shop owned by a fairly well-to-do Scientologist, which is a little bit interesting. Um, wow. Have you run across any, maybe not necessarily Scientology, but have you run across any cults or cult-like groups in your, your work? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I know a lot of people who do the more traditional, like fighting with, you know, the really big anti-vaxxers that are just like kind of way off the deep end, like um, Mary Bowden, you might know. I think her name is MD Brief on Twitter. Um, you know, like people who are really kind of far gone there. And so, you know, they argue with them, my, my colleagues, people I work with. Um, I interestingly tend to, to argue with people, unfortunately, people who are more towards the middle, who are not anti-vaccine completely, but very strongly, you know, uh, I don't know. They downplay vaccines to a certain extent. And so that's who I tend to argue with. I, I do argue with the anti-vaxxers, but no cults, fortunately. Well, the other thing is like a group like, you know, any well-organized cult, if they're involved in this, you're going to be trying to hide the fact that their organization is involved in this because it does bring a bit of a stigma, even, even for a control group. Yeah. You had brought somebody up a moment ago whose name I didn't recognize. Um, and I couldn't repeat the name. Who was that? Yeah. Mary Bowden. Um, so I, I don't know a ton about her, but she is, um, you know, anti-vaxxer who just, uh, is really, really combative. And so she kind of targets, goes and actively fights pediatricians or vaccine advocates or whomever um kind of like uh i don't know like libs of tiktok how they find like random people and try and expose them she does that for vaccine people and so um i run into her quite a bit just you know because of that behavior oh i'll try to i'll try to remember that name i i like a good rattle <laughs> was it, were you there at the founding of uh, voices for vaccines or did you get involved uh, later on after it had already been founded well, after so Voices for Vaccines actually goes back to about 2013. Um, and so I, I just graduated college uh, actually a few months ago, so uh, was not there for it. But it's, it's about eight or nine years old at this point. Oh, very good. What's really weird about sort of operating in this space, right? If I heard the name Voices for Vaccines, I would have to go take a look at the website and go take a look at what they're putting on social media because the the anti-vaccine groups will tend to try to use names that are a bit confusing or that look like legitimate like public health advocacy organizations no absolutely like children's health defense is the classic one out, out of a it's rfk jr's project which is i mean totally perverting uh, you know actual protection and, and, and freedom is another thing you commonly commonly see in their their names and stuff like that I mean, it's a really tricky game yeah um there's others like the one I mentioned before V is for vaccine. That's a little more obvious. Maybe that that might be an anti-vaccine group, but you're right. Like children's health defense. That sounds like it could be anything, right? It could be, right. could be a, a group where they try to get kids health care who don't have health insurance. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it, it becomes a big mess when, when you're looking into this stuff, because for, maybe the anti-conspiracism researcher or whatever, we end up having to know who all these people are, who all these groups are, what are they saying? Why are they saying it? And then, then you're in, you end up in this position where even if you're pretty sure, you know what some group is, you're, you're like, well, let me look that up. Is that the right thing? And it's, it's, it's just, it's just real tough. Cause there's all these disparate little groups and, it just becomes it becomes like almost overwhelming for the average person to figure out like who you can trust you know just because someone has a slick website with pictures of kids on it doesn't mean that it's you know uh like the united way or something you know right and that, i mean that's become a, a pretty common tactic actually as you'll see and this is among people who are pro-vaccine and anti-vaccine but just there's a lot more uh not grassroots because that implies maybe like a political local thing but um uh, you know, individual or small scale efforts are popping up all around or people are starting these projects between doctors, whatever. And so you see these very sleek websites pop up very quickly. It's not hard to make a sleek website nowadays. And so you see all sorts of new projects popping up constantly. I mean, it does get really easy to lose track. Um, the other thing about that, I, I don't know if you've heard of an organization called the Brownstone Institute. Is that ring any bells? No, but it sounds like it's either like a 
think tank that some people might find reputable, but is actually just reaching for my wallet or like a group of cranks. Those are the, that's the two things that I think it could be, but watch it's like just a total, it's like a totally nice group of doctors now that I said that, right? No, 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 you, you're, you're in the right direction. Um, you know, they, the, the difficulty is that actually those things tend to blend nowadays, right? Because it's, again, it's, it's common for doctors with followings to come together and start like a thick tank or a project or a collective or whatever. And so this started as kind of like an anti, um, uh, not vaccine, but like public health, you know, like um, masks and distancing and all things like that. And then they started to gradually incorporate people. And so you have these kind of big projects, these like these things that are there's people you clearly can't call anti-vaccine because they you know, talk about vaccination and try and get people to to um, be a part of it. But then they associate with overt anti-vaxxers. And so things really, really have gotten messy, especially two years into the pandemic when nobody's even really on the site keeping track. So, yeah, it's it's difficult. It is. And. You know, the other thing, a lot of times they'll like these groups of cranks will try to use almost grandiose language to describe what they're doing. Like I saw on your blog that you've been writing about the Great Barrington Declaration. The Great yes. Barrington Declaration sounds like the treaty that ended World War Three. Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, that it, I mean. Actually, there's a, there's a lot there. Um, I don't know if you know the history of that, but I know one of the authors personally of that, uh, of the declaration, because I'm a Stanford alum, and um, one of the authors is Jay Bhattacharya. Uh, Dr. Oh, Jay Bhattacharya. yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, um, we do uh, a Bay Area news show, because yeah. I'm from the Bay, also because of where you went to school. If we were the same age, I would have to be your mortal enemy, but um, <laughs> it's been long enough since I was in school that it doesn't matter. Um yeah, we've saw we saw him a lot, like kind of doing local news hits here, and it was actually fairly disappointing. Uh, we were f pretty disappointed in our local news organizations because they were kind of presenting that guy as, oh, well, here's you know a dissenting uh, voice on this, and they were kind of presenting him as if he represented like a big, like a big portion of of medicine and a big portion of academic medicine and it just doesn't seem to be the case at all it seemed like he was kind of out on his own in a lot of ways and i was just like again i was just super disappointed in the way our you know three the, the big three local news stations to the extent that i was able to see all three that they covered him it was fairly disappointing yeah. and they didn't have someone else on like after him or they didn't even mention that like the things that he's saying are disputed by you know the consensus in his field or anything and it was it was, it was, yeah, no, it was no I absolutely agree. I mean, I, I don't, we don't have to be mortal enemies because I disagree severely with him. I mean, um, you know, I, I do know him and I, I, I don't, it's a working relationship for sure. And I don't think he's a bad person, but his ideas clearly are not the mainstream. I mean, you have, you have, there's no doubt about that. And, and I know, uh, and I kind of wonder why they would platform somebody like that very actively, um, you know, versus anybody else, because I worked for the Stanford Alumni Association then, and um, we were covering medical stuff out of Stanford um, because COVID was kind of the big thing. And so there were so many people we drew on. I, mean, I was reading the medical research out of there every single day on vaccines, on you know what's the infection fatality rate, I mean, all sorts of things like that. And I didn't learn who Jay Bhattacharya was until uh, I got on Twitter. I mean, at the end of maybe, you know, nine months into last year, I mean, I really had no clue. And so it is, it's interesting to me that people have that perspective because I just didn't even know that that was happening. And I'm obviously I was in the Bay Area, um, same time as you. So I just, I, that is a weird thing that did happen. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I don't think I would have caught it either if if w one of the people I work on this project with wasn't so interested in local news and hadn't started a local news show on this on this project a while ago. Because I don't watch gotcha. the I don't watch the local news channels. I mean, I don't even have cable. Right. Like, you know, <clears throat> I think you know my generation is sort of the cutoff for people who still have cable. Some of us do, and some of us <laughs> don't. But like, you know, like a lot of people maybe a lot of people who are kind of in the thick of things in the fight or whatever are going to tend to be people who don't watch a lot of like television news, right? Because we're terminally online and <clears throat> yeah, like I said, it was just like really disappointing to see him on local news kind of touted as some kind of like some kind of like expert and that he was just like had some different, some different view and that it, it wasn't presented as his view is contrary to what the other pub contrary to what your public health officials are telling you. And I think right. it's, I think it was, I think it was bad for the local news to do it that way. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing that I'm learning, and I only really learned this when I looked into that issue very deeply. Uh, if you've read that essay, it's like 9,000 words. I mean, that was a long argument I had, I had with them. And um, it's the difficult thing about this pandemic is that, you know, if I, I, I think of myself as relatively scientific, scientifically uh, literate, I studied that for months and, and wrote about it for months. I mean, the average person is never going to be able to come close to the level of literacy, able to really, really accurately evaluate whether the things he's saying are true. And, th and that's been true of a lot of things this pandemic. Vaccines, it's a little easier for the things he was saying, you know, masks and lockdowns and COVID and things like that. It's difficult. And so that's been one of the things that, you know, I think it makes it really hard, not even just for those who are looking to actively be contrarian, but other news sources as well to even say like, hey, this is what I'm hearing on Fox News or this is what I'm hearing on this news network. I mean, it's, it's hard for anybody besides experts to really seriously evaluate it. It's yeah. Well, what I noticed was <clears throat> like a like a phenomenon I'd seen before came out in full force during this pandemic. It was the, oh no, I've done my research came out. And now, yeah. and like when I, when I've talked to people like that, the first thing I do is just, I just ask them like, what do you, like, what does that mean? Like, what, when you tell me you've done your research, what do you mean? And you know, sometimes people will just tell me they're reading all these scientific papers and I'm just sitting there going, you know, I'm a pretty smart guy. And I'm not, I haven't told myself that I'm qualified to go through, you know, all these scientific papers and basically be the peer review process by myself. And right. it's, it's, I think a lot of people who will tell you they read scientific papers are probably like fibbing a little bit, right? Cause, they're, and they're, you know, getting someone else's interpretation of it, but there's this phenomena and it, it, some, some people are just they've convinced themselves that they can reason their way through something highly technical, almost to the exclusion of uh, empiricism and uh, expertise. And it, it just, it came out in a big way in the pandemic and it, I think it hurt a lot of people and I've been talking about it for a long time. And a lot of people told me that I was, you know, you shouldn't be talking about these things. Why aren't you talking about real news? And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and everybody was like, oh, everybody, you should go on his show. He knows what he's talking about. And it's like, well, thanks, I guess. <laughs> right. And and the thing I've also, I mean, uh, there's a somebody who was a journalist during COVID um, kind of taught me this. Her name is uh, Tara Haley. And um, she did this big, put out this big thing uh, a few months back about how, you know, the main skill of a communicator and this, I guess, a little bit applies to me um, is to be able to know what you don't know. Right. Um, more than anything else. And, and, and the unfortunate thing is that most of our media is not based around that. Um, I've been writing on COVID for, you know, about nine months at this point, just kind of on my own or for, you know, voices for vaccines. And I feel like now, you know, I've only been, gotten more uh, careful with time. You know, it just is so difficult to understand each individual aspect of this, whether it's vaccines that could take you four months, whether it's masks that could take you three to four months to really, really know, especially with all the changes over time, what works and what doesn't. Um, there just is, I mean, months and months and months of research that has to go into each individual thing. And, and when you can comment on it, comment on it, excuse me, you can. Um, but, but really, uh, I think this has taught me personally and professionally, um, just to have so much more modesty than I did before. Yeah. And one of the things, <clears throat> one of the things I try to like instill in the people who watch my crazy streams is that, um, they're not, you know, you're not going to know everything. You're not going to be able to figure out the answer to everything. I'm not going to be able to figure out the answer to everything. The experts don't have the answer to everything. And right. it's super important for the average person. I think if they're interested in consuming news of any kind, really is to be able to spot patterns of deception, be able to spot patterns of people trying to take you for a ride, trying to get you to believe something versus trying to give you information. I think those are two incredibly different things. And I think that, you know, when you're able to kind of spot patterns, like one of the big things I noticed during COVID was when people were contrarian, the first thing they would do is they'd come at you and trot out some sort of weird esoteric achievement they had made, or they would be like, I am the leading scientist in such and such a thing. And you're like, no, you're not. Like the leading scientist in that probably has no idea that they're doing the best work. Doesn't use Twitter. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. <laughs> right. They have no, or they just have no idea that they're right now, probably the best in that field because they're busy. Right. And, and so when you see people like sort of 
puffing up their chest a little bit about their about their qualifications and their intelligence or whatever, telling you that they're the one making sense of everything and that other people are lying to you and whatnot. That, that you, it's just there's no way that you should trust that person and you should go find someone else, someone a little more humble, someone hedging a little bit more, someone deferring to other experts when it's when it's appropriate. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think I mean the fortunate thing, and it, it, it's you know you kind of got to do this on your own. Um, but we now have a clear record for everybody. I mean, that's, you know, I'm mainly on Twitter. Um, it is very common to see somebody bring up something somebody said, you know, a year and nine months ago, or, you know, even before the pandemic. I mean, there is such a clear record that people are, are, are um, keeping track of, of what others are doing. And so that can be helpful. I mean, noticing that people make wrong predictions is fine. Um, you know, consistent wrong predictions and not, you know, being corrected, I think is a good sign for most people that this is not a scientist I should follow. So if there's somebody, again, it seems generic or seems, seems a little bit bland to say, look for humility in communication. Um, but that is absolutely the number one thing. Um, the other thing that, that really, really helps is to uh, find comparisons between people who are really off the deep end and people who are a little bit off the deep end. Um, you know, there's somebody who we argue with uh, pretty commonly, or I argue with pretty commonly, Marty McCary, you may have heard of. In fact, I, I think that's how we, um, uh, you saw me on, on social media, I was arguing with him. He is not an anti-vaxxer. I mean, this guy is pro-vaccine as far as I know for, you know, every vaccine, but he's consistently argued at every emergency use, we need more data, we need more safety or whatever, right? And so he's discouraged vaccination. And, and one of the things to say, like, hey, you know, we know vaccines work, we know they're, they're safe, you know, you, you keep throwing doubt um, and look for similar tactics between those who it's their career to throw doubt and then somebody who, who, who just is doing it, you know, temporarily. Um, commonly, it'll be like an anti-vaxxer and somebody who's like verging in that direction. So that can also be useful just to see if there's similarities there. Yeah, that, you know, knowing about the anti-vaccine movement coming into this got me prepared for dealing with Brett Weinstein and mm -hmm. his followers. You have to be aware of this guy. I, I do know him. I'm not, I, I don't follow him too closely, fortunately. I mean, he seems, he seems, uh, you know, to be pretty right wing and pretty inflammatory, but I just haven't seen him too much. So we had first found him because we do a show about the intellectual dark web. The show's called the intellectual dollar tree, not to mm -hmm. toot my own horn. It's actually a pretty popular podcast. Um, and so I kind of knew who he was coming in and a lot of people didn't. And they're like, Oh, you know, he seems like he's, you know, a biologist and he, you know, he just has these concerns and I'm like, well, he's an evolutionary biologist who was like a, a professor and he doesn't have a lot of work in the field. And being a professor without a lot of published papers, it's fine. You know, we need people to be professors. There's it's, it's a right. fine thing to be. Um, yeah. But then he he had some drama. He quit his job. He got a settlement from Evergreen. And now he's like a, a talk show host. And I'm, I was just trying to tell people, I'm like, no, he's just a talk show host. And he's in, you know, he's, he lies for a living. He's been lying yeah. about, you know, trans people for a while now, and he's going to switch over to the mass and the vaccines. And, but the thing is I was able to kind of spot what he was doing as he went anti-vaccine in real time, because of what you were saying a minute ago, being able to spot things that the craziest anti-vaxxer is doing and then being able to compare them to people that seem reasonable and if the people yeah. that seem that's what you just said is great if the people that seem reasonable are doing some of the same things the crazies are doing you might want to slow down for a second and take a look at this person that you think seems reasonable big big red flag and not only that too but uh it sometimes is very very glaring um just because people are so interconnected now. i mean there's there's articles in national news outlets that link to twitters you know or like you know posts on social media or whatever um you can often see people take anti-vax lines um that that you know they are supposedly pro-vaccine they say they're pro-vaccine and then they use literally an anti-vax line um the example from the other day was uh what was it um there's a, there's covid vaccines for kids under five uh now you know there's an eua for it and uh, there's this anti-vaxxer who was saying, you know, a baby can't tell you if they have myocarditis was the line, right? Because this is a side effect for the, you know, 12 to 17 year olds. And uh, it's supposed to scare parents to say like, hey, you know, like this is going to be terrible for them. Uh, and then two weeks later in national news, this was Fox News, um, Marty, who is the, the person I, you know, I'm arguing with, uh, used that line directly. And it, it was a consistent fear mongering line in the anti-vaccine community. I mean, I, I heard this every single day. There was some new viral post and then he picks it up and puts it on Fox News. And it makes you think, I mean, that's, that's a, it's not true. I mean, you know, babies when they have myocarditis actually turn pale. It's, it's a very clear condition um, a lot of the time, but, uh, but I'm not a doctor. So, so obviously, you know, not, no, not medical advice, but um, 
you know, it's a misconstrual, but he literally just picked up that line and then used it. And it's clear where he, I can't say it's clear where he got it from 100%, but like that's a little bit suspicious. And so if you can find things like that, that, that really is a red flag too. And I mean, to be fair, I couldn't tell you maybe if I have myocarditis right now too, because I have some of the risk factors for it. I unfortunately picked up smoking during a, <laughs> during a, a respiratory disease pandemic. Seems crazy, right. but whatever. We, we all, we're all different. Um, I, you know, I drink, I, you know, there, I, have, I have risk factors for things like that. And I couldn't tell you if I have it. Most so, adults. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a complex condition. <laughs> like, right. When you have something that's like, like that, you're not going to, you're, we can't just like intuitively diagnose ourselves anyway. So the, the idea that, oh, the baby can't tell you that they have myocarditis. I just can't even believe that somebody takes that seriously as a, as a thing, because I probably have medical conditions that I don't know about. I'm 45 years old, you know, not, not, I'm not a, I'm not a big old health freak. So like we, right. we, we can't intuitively diagnose ourselves. And I think you know, maybe you bring up another thing where a lot of people sort of have been convinced that maybe they can. Um, diagnose kind of self-medical yeah. medical conditions. You mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, We'll say a little bit, what do you mean about that? I mean, I have ideas about that, but. Well, I just think that, you know, it's this, it's one of these things that you might, and sometimes these are going to be even in like more like lefty sort of like kind of health people spaces where it's like, you know, your body, listen to your body. And those are actually good, good advice, right? If you're feeling pain or whatever, go to the doctor. But the, the, the absurd extension of that, and it certainly exists probably in a yoga studio within 10 miles of where I am right now. The absurd mm-hmm. extension to that is that, you know, oh, we know well enough to diagnose ourselves. And I just think that that though the baby doesn't know oh, they have myocarditis, it's just an extension of that kind of stupid reasoning where, where people do believe that they've been able to diagnose themselves. And a lot of them, it's because they've done their research. Yeah, that's an interesting problem. And I, I would wonder, uh, for me specifically, if it holds outside of the United States. And, and the reason I think it's popular here is that we are very, very big on self-help and we're very, very big on psychology and kind of, you know, trying to understand our own psychology. And so with this self-help movement that has you know been around and, and goes into the wellness, holistic health, you know, a lot of quackery there, of course, um, that has made us really prone to think we are kind of experts of our own selves. And, and one thing I'll take away from this pandemic, um, you know, is that you really got to try and follow, you know, scientific medicine for your own lifestyle too. Um, you know, it, it's really, really difficult to diagnose a medical condition. I, uh, before the see, booster for the mRNA vaccines, I mean, even I, you know, was like, Hey, like, you know, I have a health condition as well. Heart um, really, it's my heart. And I was like, Hey, well, I heard it has myocarditis and maybe it'll inflame my heart. And I, you know, you just get these really strange concerns that make no sense medically. Um, but it's super, super common for people to do. And I, I would wonder if that's a United States thing or, or, you know, something everywhere, but, um, totally get that concern. Yeah. You know, you brought up the self-help and the, us being big on psychology. I would have added maybe the, the, um, modifier pop psychology to yes. the psychology there. But, um, but I mean, it's natural though. Uh, like in your case, you know, it's, uh, um, if you have some sort of underlying medical condition that you know about, it's natural to be concerned before you have any medical procedure. But again, like you said, that's why you ask somebody who knows because you don't right. just intuitively know it's yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been real rough and it, it was just kind of good to see you were like the first young person I kind of saw like going out there and trying to talk to people about this stuff. Um, you can't possibly be the only one. You're just the one that I noticed the one that, you know, we follow a lot of the same people. And it was, it was definitely, uh, definitely good to see because uh, the rest of us are going to die off eventually. And we we are going to need, we're going to need other people to kind of take over either taking the piss out of uh, conspiracy theorists or to the extent that we can helping people who are sort of on their way down the wrong path to try to like think twice and think a little more, think more, a little bit more deeply about why, uh, reasons we might believe the things that we believe. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And that's actually, um, I'm not the only young person I can say that because um, I work with a group at Stanford called Scientists uh, Speak Up. And so this is a group run by PhD uh, in environmental science, I believe. Her name is Mallory Harris. Um, and we, you know, work on a lot of different things. 
And there's a, there's a whole group of us that basically try to counter um, misinformation and, and work together to try and uh, think about what are effective ways to do so. And, and one of my thoughts that I'm seeing, I mean, there, a lot of the drama in the pandemic actually came out of Stanford is a big hive of it now. UCSF is another school that has just had a lot of drama. Um, our thought is that, you know, if students are actually involved in this kind of stuff um, and they're pushing back against, you know, it's often doctors, it's often people with these fancy titles associated with university professors, et cetera. Um, if we're on campus saying like, hey, we, we don't want this behavior at our school or we want it regulated or we want to, you know, some sort of solution from the university, then that can be a good safeguard against it. So you're, you're absolutely correct. I mean, there's not a lot of young people who know the names of any anti-vaxxers or, you know, what Great Barrington is or anything like that. Um, but I do think it's a key step to get more of us involved. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's something we're working on, but it's, it's difficult. Yeah. And I just, you know, the, the, I think the flip side of that though, is I don't see a lot of people under maybe even under 30 on the internet yeah. spreading a lot of anti-vaccine stuff. I think it's largely like my age cohort generation X. That's where all the kind of big names are. They're, you know, fo like 42 to 50, 57 or whatever the, the range is now. That seems to be where everyone is. Yeah, I, I would think that the HQ might be a little bit different in off the internet in real life. You know, I think um, young people on the internet are, are you know going to likely be very left leaning a lot of the time or are more in that direction. And that has not been, uh, you know, at least in this pandemic, um, really people who tend to be anti-vax or, or uh, you know, uh, spread disinformation around around COVID, things like that. So it might be a little bit different in real life. Um, but I do I mean, I do think, yeah, young people just don't. Uh, you know, especially for like masks and other public health measures. I mean, they were they were highly compliant. You know, I mean, you know, people who are at lowest risk were still totally willing to do it, um, often just as much as anybody else. And so I, I do agree. There's a, there's a clear there's there's a hopeful willingness to kind of comply with public health. I think there might also just be like maybe the and the most people fighting too are actually in my generation because we were the first to really get the internet was when we were teenagers. Yeah. Younger people, they know not to believe the, the crap they read on the internet. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? Like there weren't a lot of 20 year olds that, that uh, ended up in the, like sucked down the QAnon rabbit hole whose family couldn't talk to them anymore. And it's just because the, you know, when you grow up with something, when you're like a sort of a citizen of the internet from birth or whatever, I think that you, you're just going to kind of almost naturally have sort of know the lay of the land and just be more, I'm not even sure skeptical is the word you might when you're on the internet, you might need to apply a healthy dose of cynicism to the things you're looking at. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's something actually that, uh, not that young people are doing this, but it's helped the misinformation side is that they, they're unnaturally savvy. I mean, like, you know, young people are usually um, pretty good at the internet, but they're not talking about vaccines, public health stuff. And so, you know, the people who are doing anti-vaccine stuff are as savvy as young people in other areas, I've noticed. They have a lot of really smart tactics. It's like they're clearly like running analytics or something, you know, trying to, to maximize how they get their word out. But that disproportionate savviness has really helped the the, the anti-vaccine movement. I mean, no doubt about it. And not, not just them, but really anybody who tends to kind of um, be, be a little bit more contrary. Um, it, yeah, I mean, more training is needed for, for pro-vaccine people, for sure. Especially, I mean, like you said, like 30 plus, 40 plus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The the other thing is, and I mean, not for nothing, like it's easy for a layperson to go out there and lie about vaccines, right? But it's very difficult for a layperson to go out there and debunk the the lies about vaccines because it's just it's just so much more effort. You need so much more information to like debunk right. a lie than you need to just spread one that you heard somewhere else. What's the what's the saying? Like yeah. the the lie travels the world before the truth ties its shoes or whatever. Something like that. I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And that, I mean, that's my traditional method of, of addressing things is, you know, I, I, uh, I'm just coming off of you know, coming out of academia. And so I'm, I'm, you know, a long form writer and, you know, uh, we'll do these, you know, 50 tweet threads on how the vaccine is safe or whatever. And again, it's, it's going to reach people. It's, it's, it's helpful. Right. But it's like the person lying for each, you know, individual thing, spend an hour on it and, and, you know, and it, it just made it look scary or, or you know, spun some sort of really attractive rumor. So uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely an uphill disproportionate battle. And I, I don't know what the solution is, to be honest with you. Um, I, I personally think some sort of you know, structural solutions are needed. I don't know what your, your position on this is, but Twitter and other social media platforms are so awful at regulating, uh, you know, anything that is just blatantly false. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a very pro free speech person. 
Um, but things that are blatantly false, I'm just not sure that that should be allowed. And they, they don't do anything about it at all. I mean, Robert Malone got banned on Christmas Eve, 2021. <laughs> so right after so the, these things, it's no like, regulation. It's, it's, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like banning, it's like banning an army for your, from your country after they've already torched the place. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and leaving everybody, I mean, he's, he's a rare band. I mean, most of the other ones are still up, so it's just really ineffective. You know, um, yeah, my take on that is that I think the platforms they know what they're doing. I don't think that mm-hmm. I don't think that they're these are these are not these are not people who don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that people again, many of them in my age cohort who run these companies have made a cynical decision that it is worth it to them to make the money from the controversy and they don't care if if that means that a pandemic spreads at twice the rate that it might otherwise spread because they're rich and they have mm-hmm. the best medical care in the world and um, they're going to be just fine. Um, it's I, I, uh, I mean, I could believe it's a cynical view, of course, but uh, not not unwarranted <laughs> to to uh, I mean, perhaps a large extent. I mean, there's there's, you know, most of these uh, misinformation accounts have many more followers than actual doctors. I mean, like infectious disease people who are world renowned usually are dwarfed. Sometimes it's like half the following of these people. Um, and, and clearly false things. I mean, they'll spread, they'll, they'll share papers, quote unquote, that are just riddled with just absolute bullshit that could be, you know, lie, 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 line by line um, and do that. It's, it's a mill all day. So I have very little faith. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I don't know. Possible the incentive is money. I mean, I would lean towards agreeing with you, but it's, it's hard to say. Well, there's also this thing and it's, I get into arguments with people sometimes about this. There's also this in, this is something I haven't really fully fleshed out, but there's also this inclination because of who runs these companies to be really eager to sort of regulate and moderate for decorum and tone versus yeah. payload. So if somebody goes out there and is just saying, say they're saying false things about you that are like slanderous, right? Yeah. And I'm like, Hey, you know, I looked into that. That's not true. And you can go fuck yourself. Well, the person who's spreading this false and slanderous stuff about you online, your recourse isn't going to be Twitter. If it's yeah. bad enough, your recourse would have to be the courts. And then Twitter is going to put me in the penalty box for telling that person to go fuck themselves. And it's like, well, somebody's using, you know, in this case, somebody's using your site to defame someone who did nothing to them ever. And I'm just responding rudely and you're going to regulate that and you're not, but you're not going to regulate, you know, the payload of somebody else's what somebody else is saying because they've said it politely. Right. It's not for impact. I mean, no doubt about it. You know, like, uh, yeah. And they, they get good at it too. They, they really know how to ban evade. I've realized too. I mean, the, the, you know, some of the really wacky anti-vectors just don't care and they haven't been banned. Um, some of them you click on their links and it's clearly like they're like, you know, we don't know for sure. It, it's it's like reading, uh, you know, the fine print, but it's the whole text or it's their whole Twitter page or whatever. Right. Because they they really, really know um, that if they just say the exact right things, they will never get banned. And so it's it's very kind of methodical on their end. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I especially worry, you know, with the future of this. I mean, I'm sure, you know, uh, Elon Musk is thinking about buying Twitter and he is, uh, you know, his, his whole bent is, you know, pro free speech. Uh, unless, I, unless you uh, try to say anything bad about Elon, unless you criticize, right, 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 yeah. Um, but he, <laughs> I think, is just uh, what worries me is, is he's a poor steward of factuality, and this I think applies to a lot of people. Um, there was a, a tweet he made maybe two months ago where he just said, you know, never take Wellbutrin. I, you know, everyone I know who is on Wellbutrin or whatever, you know, they have like a suicide story or something, which is just, you know, making medical advice for for tons and tons of people. Or he said, uh, what was the other thing? Twitter has a clear left-wing bias, and there's research, obviously, against, you know, where we're saying it, it, it's the top level of our country, and we, we live in a capitalist country, you know, so that these people are who, who who have that power are really sometimes more powerful than actual, you know, legal bodies or regulatory bodies or, or anything like that. When he's willing to lie, and not just lie for his own gain, but callously, I mean, there's no gain in him just well, saying Well, I mean, the gain online. is, I mean, the gain is, I mean, I, you know, I grew up here, and I kind of came up during the time where we were um, delusional here in Silicon Mm -hmm. Valley about what we were going to do for and to the world. And some people let go of that. And some people, Elon Musk still think they're here to save the world. 
Right. And so yeah. it, it, if he can say anything like, oh, the Wellbutrin's bad, and then he gets a bunch of, you know, dudes, it's always dudes, uh, yeah. saying that he's right and all this, that's, that's all he wants. He's like, what, what did, uh, like, my, one of my favorite quotes is by a journalist named Kara Swisher. She says, you're so poor, all you have is money. And it's like it some sometimes you see some of these people and the way they behave and they have everything yep. in the world and yet here they are showing their ass to people just to get attention and it's like it's like imagine imagine like if I had that much money would I I would pay people to tweet for me right right that's that's got to be it I think attention is better than anything else I mean my thought I I, I try. And this is maybe like a self-hurting optimism because I really want to believe <laughs> that people give a shit, uh, you know, about about being truthful. Um, and it's like you could be, you could lie about something that's less consequential. Uh, you could you could be overt and, and and draw attention without lying just so casually about a medication that literally will impact thousands or millions of people. You know, he has 90, 93 million people reading his tweets. Um, but you're right. I mean, I think it's an attitude of being callous, a kind of a attitude of disregarding the truth that then allows you to just be a very influential person or be, or be a very provocative person. You know, with everything you say. And, and not for nothing, there yeah. are people out there that were seeing that what he said about Wellbutrin. I'm I wasn't aware of that tweet. Not for nothing, there's people out there who are struggling with their mental health and they're seeing that and like that. If they think Elon's like some kind of genius or whatever, and they're on it, that like come on, like you're just gonna, you're just really gonna, like you're gonna. It's no, there's not like a direct line to the harm you you do there, but right. you're, you're somebody you're going to, somebody's going to feel real crappy and maybe stop taking their meds or start you know, just like, Oh no. Like, yeah. And the other, not, not for nothing. The kinds of people he knows who are on, um, those kinds of drugs may very well be using them recreationally. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know enough. I don't know enough about it, but it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just weird. And yeah, I think maybe letting, maybe letting rich people make all the decisions in our society was probably a bad idea. Probably not the best. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, one, one thing I will say again, I am very pro free speech person. So when I talk about like Twitter needs to regulate, uh, you know, strictly for saving lives. I mean, if it really can be demonstrated that this would help people. And I, I do believe in the case of some anti-vaxxers it would. Um, but I, I think this idea of, Free speech needs to kind of be taken back to a certain extent to uh, the very right-leaning people and 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 the people who run these um, are going to run these platforms. Um, you know, it, they're just not. There, there's an emphasis on free speech for speech's own sake, and so it's people just kind of putting out information constantly without very much uh, value to it. Um, I think people who really, really work hard to have high quality speech, I think it's a better framing of free speech in my mind. And that has traditionally been the people who are fighting this misinformation. So trying to reclaim that label to a certain extent or, or reclaim that brand, I think is really important. So my take is that from the jump, when social media started, uh, what we'll call bad actors, and I don't mean Nicolas Cage, I mean bad actors, are uh, they've been playing the ref the whole time. Since the jump, they've been playing the ref and they've done a very good job of it. And so instead of some, you know, let's just say, Let's say MySpace still existed, right? Instead of Tom from MySpace saying, no, actually, this is my data center and I'll kick you off if I want. I don't want you spreading medical misinformation. I don't want you calling people the N-word on my website. I don't want you mistreating gay and trans people on my website. And you can go to a different website if you don't like it. Instead of doing that, these people were terrified because probably in no small part because they're from right here in the Bay Area where everybody thinks it's this huge leftist place with all these biases. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the I think the bad actors have done a very good job of playing the refs. If just instead of playing the game, they just played the refs trying to trying to make sure the refs are they're just always up in the ear of the referee. And now the referee right. seems to be on their side because the referee is terrified of being accused of having some kind of liberal bias or whatever. And it's been years and years and years that I've seen it. They're always complaining about it. Even before social media, they it was the, Oh, the liberal media, the liberal media, the liberal media. It's been this like the, the whole time. And so it's not surprising to me that social media is shaking out in much the same way. Uh, you know, I absolutely uh, 100% would agree that resonates with me immediately um, because one of the, the most common genres nowadays, you know, if something gets banned, 
the net effect is to help somebody and help them within 30 minutes. Um, it's often the case that say an anti-vaxxer gets a video taken down on YouTube and then they go on Twitter and say like, look, I'm being censored. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, frame it as some sort of like 1984 big brother act. And then that goes viral. It goes very viral and their audience rewards them for that every single time because it's exactly what they're looking for on um, this kind of uh, almost like persecution fantasy, right? Where, where right. that's kind of the perfect content for them. Um, I, 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 I'm not exactly sure how we can combat that because then the system is broken, right? And that, right. you know, it's just that none of these people, I'm just telling you from the jump, if these companies would have said, no, actually you can't yeah. call for killing trans people on our website, even if you think you're being cute about it. No, right. you just can't do that. Oh, you don't like it. Wah. This is my data center. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, because that's no, like, I mean, there's no other, there's no other thing that works that way right like if you go into somebody's business they're going to kick you out if you start wiling out and right. social media seems to be the only one that where th the business owner isn't going to kick you out for wiling out even if it makes them look bad or if, like i don't know no yeah absolutely i mean i i even hear i mean i hear very often and that people are just completely thinking about abandoning the project i mean when elon uh, almost took over twitter people went to i mean it was like counter social or I don't know, some sort of platform that was alternative. But um, I, I don't think anybody has a solution to be honest with you, because even people who have large followings are like, no, I'm going to dip. Like, I really am not here for the long term. I don't think this is going to be sustainable, um, you know, to, to be on Twitter. So, I mean, I, mean I, I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if that I guess that the if the platform can be redeemed, I really don't know. I mean, I'm sticking with it. I'm trying to fight uh, misinformation on there. But ultimately, will it really help? I don't know. Yeah. So the one that is the one the platform that's pretty clean is uh, Pinterest. Hmm. They just, you can't search for vaccines on there that you're not going to find pro or anti-vaccine stuff. You, you, you just won't find anything. Right. You, you, they, they will kick you off for saying racist things and they just don't care, but that's Pinterest. They're tiny. Right. And they're, you know, for hobbies and things like that too. Look, right? it's, it's looking a, for information. It's a good business though. They're doing really well. Um, I have a few right. friends who uh, have worked at or do work at Pinterest and they, uh, so the corporate culture there was pretty good and that surprisingly enough, there were women and black people at their tech job, which was stunning to them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. It is it, the whole social media situation is a mess. I mean, I don't, I don't have, I don't have an optimistic thing to say about that. <laughs> well, I think yeah. it's just a function of who runs it. Like, you know, you, it, it, it doesn't take very long to figure out who's running these companies. And it's a lot of dudes that look like me. And right. we're not, we're not impacted by, I mean, I'm a gay guy myself, but I mean, like I'd have to tell most people. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, you know, generally not going to be impacted by homophobia. And I live here in the Bay area. So maybe people who live here think it doesn't even exist. Um, you know, but you know, I'm not going to be impacted by racism. Um, you know, I have fairly good health care, so I guess I don't, uh, maybe I don't care about anti-vaxxers, but I kind of do. But maybe I could see where I wouldn't if it was in my financial interest not to. And I think that basically these they're just a function of who runs them. And it's just a bunch of egomaniac Gen Xers who think they're going to fix the world through communication or whatever. I think I think like Mark Zuckerberg basically said they're going to save the world by connecting everyone at some point or something, you know, making the world a better place by connecting everyone. They could be thinking of that show Silicon Valley where they make fun of that stuff. I haven't seen it, but I, I mean, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I just, I graduated Stanford, you know, like yeah. literally six months ago. And so that kind of culture of, um, you know, technocracy, I mean, the, the thought that you can use technology, especially, um, you know, programming, which is a lot of, you know, where people who work at Facebook are, are working in, um, can really solve, you know, all problems, you know, in the world. I mean, uh, totally with you on that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think one thing that might be, useful and it would be easy for them. I mean, obviously I can't make recommendations directly, but just to get actual experts involved who would be more than willing, you know, pay them handsomely. I mean, the people who are putting out good information already um, could be contracted and, and they would gladly, I mean, fact check things most of the day, right? I mean, that could be a job for somebody who's like a doctor or, or whatever. And instead they just take like CDC website and copy paste and put warnings on posts and, and don't regulate beyond there. I mean, there's, there's a solution that doesn't involve, I mean, I would like to see big reform, but there's a solution that, does, that doesn't require it. And they still don't use that. That, that. That's what confuses me a little bit. Well, yeah. I mean, you look at the boards of these companies and it's like engineer, 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 marketing person, engineer, 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 marketing person. Yeah. Or, you know, computer scientist, which is, you know, not a sli slightly different than engineer, 
but it's you know it's yeah. all it's all marketing people and engineers running these companies and you you don't have anybody from the humanities on your board and then you wonder why you're doing bad things to humanity you know it's like <laughs> right you know, those, those yeah. fields of study do exist for a reason regardless of what the stem lords think no, absolutely. Fun, I mean, funny thing, I just, uh, I worked at a global health place and I was in the commons meeting and I, I mentioned I was an anthropology major, medical anthropology. And uh, like every, like, you know, five other people were like, oh, I studied anthropology. You're like, oh, I studied medical anthropology. And it was, it was like the most, it's more than I'd even seen in my classes, you know, in terms of people who are in the humanities. And it seems like a lot of them go to nonprofits, which is kind of the, um, you know, maybe is what's causing a little bit of the, the split there. But yeah, I agree. Definitely need, I mean, you know, any humanities it doesn't have to be you know it doesn't have to be really hardcore but, but somebody yeah. right but instead they'll hire like some somebody they're calling like a technology ethicist and it's like oh that's just another engineer that's an engineer who did peyote get out of here right right <laughs> yeah. yeah well hey noah this has been this has been a lot of fun um i feel like we could talk forever because we have a lot of uh common interests here but uh try not try not to run things too long for our audience uh before we uh, before we cut this off, can you uh, tell people uh, where to find you on the internet and uh, maybe real quick again what what uh, what's up with Voices for Vaccines? Yeah, so you can find me. I'm primarily on Twitter um, nowadays. I do a lot of writing there. My handle is uh, at Michigan, um, as in the state underscore Noah. Um, so that's my handle. I also have a website where I'm or a Substack where I'm starting to try and do more writing off of Twitter. Although I don't use it very heavily, but if you want a link to that, that's in my bio uh, on Twitter. Um, for Voices for Vaccines, so their handle is just at Voices for Vaccines. They're on every social media. Um, really good, good source of information on anything vaccine related. I mean, if you know, most people are not thinking about vaccines uh, nowadays, but if you ever have a question, it, it's a really solid source. Uh, and I'm happy to answer anybody's questions. Just feel, to re feel free to reach out either to me or the page. Great. Thanks. Awesome. Have you been shadow banned by the liberal media? Free market got you down? Do you get ratioed on every Twitter post because of your shit takes on literally everything? Then producer Dave and HK are probably watching your three-hour dissertation on how a tomato cannot possibly be a fruit because gender and critical race theory can be cured with ivermectin. The Intellectual Dollar Tree, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific. Please leave it a one-star review on iTunes. Check out the rest of our schedule at ecoplexmedia.com.